You're listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. I'm Dee Clark, and this is Cortez Currents, which you can also access in text form at cortezcurrents.ca. The evidence of climate destabilization, aberrant weather, is now everyday news. Record-breaking has become a routine description of wind speed, rainfall, flood levels, mudslides, wildfires, high temperatures, and droughts. The drought which afflicts B.C. this October of 2022 is a record-breaker and a tragedy. Near Bella Bella, tens of thousands of salmon have died trying to return to their breeding grounds in streams now too warm and too shallow for them to survive. Over the last few summers, B.C. has lost millions of hectares of forest and entire towns to wildfire. Fire season and multi-day smoke palls are becoming business as usual in mid to late summer. In December last year, flooding destroyed livestock and crops in the lower mainland. These events are happening more frequently, and their severity is ramping up slowly, year by year. As we discussed in part one of this story, logging plays a significant part in accelerating the ongoing slow catastrophe. For decades, the logging industry has been destroying old-growth carbon sponge forest, burning slash, destroying soil ecosystems, destroying the forest's water retention and respiration capacity. The damage is so profound that B.C.'s forests, which were once net carbon sinks, are now net carbon emitters. So despite its claim to exploit a green, renewable resource, ensuring a prosperous and healthy future for B.C., the logging industry today is a major contributor to B.C.'s status as a world-class carbon emitter, and hence a contributor to climate disaster. The CO2 emissions of industries such as logging, however, get less press coverage on average than do helpful suggestions on how to reduce our personal carbon footprints. It should be more widely known that it was British Petroleum's PR agency that invented the personal carbon footprint meme in 2005. Many indeed have suggested they invented it specifically to distract and divide consumers and citizens. As a diversionary tactic, it was brilliant. It was catchy. It redirected the public's attention to our private lives. When we're busy with micro-accounting for our own and all our friends' daily choices, we're not looking at the carbon footprint of major industries or at the unhealthy intrusion of corporate influence into regional and national politics. While many well-meaning citizens of B.C. are trying to drive less, fly less, research the carbon footprint of their groceries and other purchases, relatively few are aware that the massive carbon Godzilla print of industries such as logging or fossil fuel overwhelm all their efforts by orders of magnitude. Riding our bikes is a worthy choice. It's a good idea. It's good for our health. It's good for our cities and towns. Choosing to ride rather than drive can save about 21 grams of carbon emission per kilometer traveled. But seriously, let's do some math. A ton is 907,185 grams. So to offset just one ton of CO2 a person would have to travel over 43,000 kilometers by bike rather than car. The B.C. logging industry's average CO2 emission in a year is about 40 million tons, 
So every single one of Canada's approximately 40 million people would have to travel 43,000 kilometers per year by bike rather than by car to offset BC's CO2 burden related to forestry. At an average bike speed of 25 clicks, that would mean about 1,720 hours of bike riding per person per year. So every person in Canada would have to ride a bike for five hours a day, every day of the year, as an alternative to car travel over the same distance, in order to offset one year of CO2 emissions from just the forestry sector in just BC. Nor can any amount of bike riding actively absorb CO2 in the way that a mature temperate rainforest can. What is presently overwhelming our attempts to slow climate change is not so much people's stubborn insistence on driving. That plays a part. It does contribute to the problem at 21 grams per car per kilometer on average. But a much larger influence is our province's stubborn insistence on digging up and selling more fossil fuel and cutting down and selling all our trees. For an example of maximally insane forestry practice, we need look no further than the Prince George area. Here, a British company called Drax is busily cutting old growth and primary forest in order to burn the wood for fuel. Drax's publicity claims that it uses only sawmill waste and slash, thus saving slash piles from being burnt in situ, uh, which is supposed to be a discontinued practice anyway, but the BBC's investigative panorama team verified that Drax is cutting and pelletizing whole logs in BC. The logs collected by Drax at Prince George will not be milled and used for housing, furniture, or even concrete forms. They will not even become paper or cardboard. They are being pelletized, the pellets then transported across Canada by rail, and subsequently by ship to the UK, where Drax burns them for fuel in the UK's largest power station to generate electricity. Drax has received about seven billion, with a B, Canadian dollars in subsidies from the British government for its so-called green energy production. The massive scale of these subsidies has raised eyebrows on both sides of the pond. Some studies suggest that burning wood pellets actually releases more carbon per heat unit produced than coal. Drax has recently been fined $3.2 million for harmful emissions at just one of its pellet plants. Drax is a major participant in the carbon-intensive BC logging industry and is even now applying for more permits to do its own logging. Pelletizing the wood uses energy. The pellets are being transported thousands of miles to the site of combustion. It's no wonder questions are starting to be asked. What's so green about this supply chain? Nevertheless, Drax company literature refers to their operation as, quote, climate positive, nature positive, and people positive, unquote. And they claim they will be carbon negative by 2030. By a strange coincidence, BC's chief forester, Diane Nichols, who aggressively promoted the wood pellet industry during the later years of her tenure, in April 2022 accepted a lucrative senior position at Drax. Ironically, her new job title is Vice President of Sustainability. Bob Simpson, mayor of Quinnell, referred to this career shift as, quote, messy, and also said it begs an investigation. 
Mr. Simpson told the Fifth Estate that the greenwashing of the pellet industry needs to stop. We need to see it for what it is. It is a money-making machine for a few people based on subsidies in the UK at the expense of British Columbia. Meanwhile, Drax has plans to expand its operations in Canada. It already owns eight out of 13 pellet mills in BC. Given their massive subsidies from the UK government, based on a rather outdated understanding of the renewability of forests, given BC's weak environmental safeguards, plus what looks very much like industry capture of our regulatory agencies, Drax is poised for a smash-and-grab raid on BC's remaining forests. As Jens Wieting remarked in our recent interview, It's a dramatic example of government and industry working together with the former chief forester, Diane Nichols, switching sides. And shortly after stepping down from the BC government, she became a leading industry person for this company. And it's, it's absolutely shocking to see the footage now shared by BBC and CBC showing how intact primary forests are being logged and the raw material goes directly into the pellet production, knowing that burning pellets has a carbon footprint in many cases worse than coal. And they are really degrading landscapes so very recently, there was little interest in logging for other industries, but the pellet industry really functions like a vacuum. They will go after any form of biomass, whether it's a degraded landscape or an intact forest. If they can get their hands on it, they will go for it. And sadly, the standards in British Columbia are very low. So this industry with the massive subsidies they receive in the UK, they are taking advantage of low conservation standards in BC um, to vacuum the landscape and get as much of the forest as they can. The UK government has spent huge amounts of taxpayer money to subsidize this destructive industry on the erroneous assumption that it is green or sustainable. BC is spending huge amounts of taxpayer money subsidizing fossil fuel extraction and marketing and courting international companies like Drax with their infinite appetite for softwood. In face of the slowly grinding climate emergency, our governments are like hapless characters in some summer blockbuster scare movie, consistently making the worst possible decisions. They're destroying the forest that could slow or mitigate the rising carbon concentration in our atmosphere. They refuse to scale back on fossil fuel extraction and combustion, our officials and administrators are in many cases far too cozy with industry, indulging in gross conflicts of interest, and promoting practices that are harmful to citizens and to the nation's and the world's best interests. But what would be the best possible decisions? I asked Jens Feeding. What, what we really have to do is we have to leave the vast majority of our fossil fuel reserves in the ground and join international coalitions like the Beyond Oil and Gas Coalition. That's a group of countries, including Denmark, Costa Rica, and others that have already committed to phasing out fossil fuel production and leaving fossil fuels in the ground. 
we are not protecting carbon-rich old growth forests and we still allow slash burning which would be a really low hanging fruit not burning the unwanted trees but leaving them standing moving to less destructive logging practices would be much better than allowing slash burning adding several millions of tons of emissions alone so these are all examples of, of steps that we would have to take starting with protecting old growth ending slash burning and then transitioning away from clear cutting the forest because every time when we allow a clear cut we are setting back the landscape to become a carbon source um, and we have to protect and restore old growth forests working with indigenous peoples many many things that this province can do to to protect nature to reduce emissions way more than many other parts of the world we we are a province with a relatively small population but there are few places on the planet that could do so much to leave fossil fuels in the ground and protect natural carbon sinks sustain the web of life and how do we force our governments to turn away from the resource-extracting moneyed interests who have their undivided attention? How do we force them to listen to the public's concerns about climate change? Right now, Sierra Club BC and many other environmental organizations are focusing on keeping the pressure up on the BC government to acknowledge and address the gaps in their climate action plans. So Sierra Club with help of the lawyers working with eco-justice in court, because the BC government has not shared detailed information how they will meet several of the crucial climate targets, for example, the 2025 target, 2040 and 2050 targets, or the hugely important sector target for the oil and gas industry for 2030 which is pretty much impossible if the BC government continues to build new LNG terminals like LNG Canada and the coastal gas link pipeline. So we really have to raise awareness about this huge challenge. And it's clear the next premier, whoever wins the leadership race with the BC NDP, has to act because there's no way to meet our targets unless the BC government develops a policy to ensure that we have a limit on, on growth, a limit on LNG, and then develop a plan to wind down the fossil fuel industries. So it's very important and solutions exist, renewable energy and many, many different forms to save energy retrofitting buildings there are huge opportunities for for the bc government to support those solutions and creating way more jobs with taxpayer dollars compared to fossil fuel subsidies and if we're to achieve any of these climate and carbon goals it looks like we're going to have to wind down or radically reimagine forestry as well as logging protesters have asserted repeatedly our forests are worth more standing. Restored to health, they would help to mitigate the climate chaos that's already baked into our future. If we go on destroying them, we will only render climate change and its consequences even more severe.
As usual, if you'd like more detail, you'd like to dig a little deeper into the information behind this story, the text version at CortezCarnes.ca is just full of links to all kinds of references. Just a reminder, the views and opinions heard on this program are not endorsed by Cortez Community Radio, its board, its staff, its membership, or any granting agency, but are those of the writer, producer, and guests. And as always, thanks for listening.